HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at cheesestateuniversity.com. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here since 2010, every week on Heritage Radio Network. It's Thursday, April 27th. Last night, we hosted the Brisket King NYC event in, now in Queens, and we've got, we've got two folks from that event joining us. Um, let's go around the room and introduce themselves. So. Great. My name is Misty Bancaro, sometimes known as Seattle Butcher's Wife on Instagram and social media. I'm from Seattle, Washington. Our family has a USDA meat processing facility in Seattle called Mondo and Sons. I'm happy to be here. And you were a judge last night, weren't I you? I was. What a great time that was. Wow, you tasted over probably 20 briskets. I'm still full. I don't know how I'm operating today, but what what a great taste. You're awesome, man. Hi, I'm Darlene Lawrence. I'm the owner of Sandstar Cut. We're based out in Brooklyn, New York, and you can find us in Canarsie. And this is probably your third third time that you cooked at Brisk King, right? Uh, I think it's the third, third or fourth. Yeah, you first came in 2018, and mm-hmm. we're, we're going to talk about your your growth as as a as a chef and a restaurant person. So this is a great show. I will give a big shout out for beer uh, since it's beer sessions. Kent Falls um, in, in Connecticut has done so much with local malt. Um, and there's a really great barbecue restaurant, Hindsight Barbecue in Waterbury, Connecticut. They've this they came to their third uh, uh, Brisket King event last night, and they brought me a, a, a can of, of this beer that they make with Kent Falls and Misty. What does it say on the label there? Because it's a it's a smoke. They smoke the spelt at the barbecue restaurant Hindsight, yeah. and then Kent Falls makes the beer. What is it? It's B Smoke Smoked Spelt Lager. And it is really smooth and a nice smoky finish. Yeah, and I just want to say, Hindsight and Jeff, you guys really appreciate it. And thanks so much for working with Kemp Falls, who's a leader in uh, local malt. I love this beer. We're drinking it now on the show. And we've also got pizza, margarita pizza, which the ladies will tell you how good it is when we get going. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the event last night. So um, first, Misty, you know, we, uh, we got connected through one of the other judges, Brimstone. 
But just tell me how you got started, the family business that you're part of. And I mean, I love meat. I love food. I love <laughs> I love people in the industry. And I'm just so glad you came out to New York Thank for this you. event. Well, well, it's been a great journey. So I got started um, and connected even with Brenstone because I started to learn how to barbecue about four years ago. Our family business is now with my son down there, fourth generation Italian family, you know, came from Genoa, started up in Seattle and uh, created a, you know, what was at that time retail meats. Now it's evolved into meat processing more on a wholesale level. So we sell to restaurants and chains and do custom Italian sausages. Like Lots of private too? label. Salami. We don't do, no, we don't do salamis. We do dry aged meats, you know, high end steaks for restaurants in the city. Um, in the city of Seattle, Seattle. that is. <laughs> I can't say that. Uh, but yeah, so they do a lot of um, craft artisan. And they do things that are, um, they try to stay on the healthy side. So they have lots of product lines in our natural food stores in the community in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, between mostly Oregon and Washington. Yeah. And then how, how did you um, get involved with the food world as your personality? <laughs> I mean, you're on Instagram and you do everything. My, my career and my background is in fashion and retail and I actually um, was trying to convince my husband to put together a social media to really share their story. They just have a great story and a great family. And um, when doing that, I checked out some hashtags like meat and barbecue, and I, I just got lost. I went down a rabbit hole, and I thought, oh, I love to eat these things. But even as a mom and a wife, I really didn't cook that much. So I got really excited and actually self-taught through a lot of YouTube videos, partnerships. I love meeting new people, so I learned a lot from some of my friends that are uh, chefs or pitmasters, and I started on my own in my backyard, and now it's evolved to really a full-time career, um, not only just sharing recipes on Instagram, but also working at events and such. Wow, it's great having you. And Darlene, let's tell us about your, your background in food, your family business. So um, my background in food was that I started my business from my friend saying that I should <laughs> start a business. Um, I had made jerk snapper one day, and she said, you know, you should really sell this. I thought nobody's going to eat this stuff with you guys. Um, and then I I started the business and I just started doing competitions. Um, I actually come from a long line of bakers and chefs. Um, I have 14, 15 uncles. Uh, 13 of them are chefs and the others are bakers. So I come from a long line of people being in the food industry. We They own restaurants, they own bakeries. Um, so that's probably where I got a lot of my need to, to want to learn how to cook and cook different dishes. Uh, the business started seven years ago and it has been a whirlwind since it has been amazing just to learn so much from so, so many other chefs and seeing how they, uh, make meat for themselves. And, and, the and it's, it's called Sam's home. Jerk House. Yes, it is. Hot, Sam's Jerk, Jerk Hut. Yeah. Yes, it is. And it, is there a, like a, a culinary heritage that, that you're following? I mean, it's Brooklyn, but, mm -hmm. you know, is there West Indian in there? Yeah, so I'm Jamaican. So the recipes are, most of them are <laughs> core Jamaican recipes, um, very traditional. And then some of them are infused with the South. So when it comes to barbecue, the way that we do it is that we do more of like a dry rub, right? We do a dry or a dry wet rub um, compared to when it's Southern, they do more saucy. Um, we don't usually do saucy. So for me, I mix the two. So that you can have the flavors of the South and the flavors of of the Caribbean. Wow, it's a great intro. Well, let's talk about last night. So it was Brisket King <laughs> NYC, the twelfth, the twelfth edition. Uh, Misty, you're a judge, so you tasted everything, and I know Darlene, you know a lot of the, a lot of the cooks. Let's talk about just the different styles and give shout outs to a couple of the chefs 
that were there. Um, you start, Misty. Well, um, I was really excited because typically if I get to judge a barbecue competition, I'm judging traditional barbecue. So traditional barbecue, like she was speaking to, um, is really well sauced, really sweet, <laughs> often incredibly tender, but there's not as much a flavor variety. And last night it blew my mind. Um, so I loved some of the Thai um, restaurants, and I also like the kimchi smoke uh, pastrami. You know, it just <clears throat> had a little bit of a different zing to it than what I'm used to. So I don't know if it was the brine, <clears throat> but I really loved the influx of flavor. Um, last night was eye-opening to really, like, bring in the brisket game a little bit differently. Big shout-out to Rob, Robert Austin Cho. He's Texas and Korean American. Yeah, uh, yes. West Virginia, yes. Jersey, Kimchi Smokes. So. Oh, man. Yeah, I oh, really, yeah. really enjoyed that. Amazing. And what about for you, Darlene? Oh, my gosh. Um, when well, first I tell us your dish. So I had the spicy barbecue jerk um, brisket. And for me, I make all of the sauces from scratch. Um, and I was going for something that would be a little bit more traditional to... Um, not really to Jamaicans, but more traditional to the barbecue world. So it was more barbecue than jerk. So I was trying something a little bit different in that. But one of my favorites, um, and I don't even think it was, it was Big Guns because they had the corn dog. Sean, Sean Keever, yeah. Yes. Fun. And fun. I've never Br seen corn a dog. brisket <laughs> corn dog before. Nor have I ever thought <laughs> that they would mm -hmm. make one. So that that blew my mind. <laughs> I'll say actually eight, the history of that event. I, I I'm speaking as the as the producer too. Eight years ago, there was a chef with a New Orleans heritage mm -hmm. who made uh, brisket boudin balls, what? which was also you know chopped up brisket and and fried. Right. So there there's there's been a lot more variety. <laughs> I, I I little backstory on it. When it started in 2011, it was just more of a, a barbecue-y event. Mm -hmm. And originally, it just had a wide range of different chefs from different backgrounds in New York City cooking brisket. So it might have been braised dish. It might have been a French chef. It, it could have been an Asian chef or someone doing something wild, like just a, a hot pot with raw slices of, of, of brisket in it. Mm. Um, Robbie Richter, who was a great, great chef at te Texas Home, uh, Texas, whatever, Hill, Hill Country Barbecue, one of the first... <laughs> barbecue chefs in, in New York City like 15 years ago. but So there's been, there's been a wide range of, of flavors and everything. And in 2017, Aaron Franklin came up, and B Billy Durney from Hometown Barbecue really helped steer that year. Um, suddenly, the Texas smoke style of brisket was mm -hmm. everywhere. And yeah. that's what you expected. So you, you've seen the last few years, you'll just see like a, this nice smoked brisket, the, you know, the slices. They all look very similar. So it, it, that's, I think, I don't know about you as a judge, Misty, but I find it harder to judge when, when you're when you're sticking to those criteria, like is it this Texas smoked? Because we had so many other things. We had Thai restaurants doing curry. Um, I don't know. Was it That's was right. it challenging the judging part? It was challenging because you know everybody's palate may be just a little bit different. But honestly, like everyone's palate may be slightly different, even when it comes to the basics, you may taste something different. So um, for me, I really thought about the texture. Um, the tenderness of the meat, that's important to me. And, you know, it didn't have to be like comp tender, but uh, you can tell when someone has given enough time and attention to making sure that every bite is just right. And then the the the, the meat itself, like um, Leland Avellino, who cooked a long time at Dinosaur Barbecue, big shout out to him. He's, he's Avellino Family Barbecue now, operating out of Norwalk and Stamford, Connecticut. And he came in with, um, let's say it was, 
definitely a great social media play. Pop up bagels, which is really big, and and on it's doing special events and one bagel mm-hmm. fest. Pop up bagels and them teamed up, and that was a, that was a, probably one of my favorite dishes, the pop up bagel with chopped brisket. But then Leland, who really is one of the top pick guys in New York area, he just had this piece of brisket that was fatty in the right way, and it turns out he used like a special prime beef. So you as as the meat person. <laughs> How important is the the quality and type of because with brisket's brisket you can go to Restaurant Depot and buy brisket. Yeah, but it really makes. What a do difference. you really want to get? Oh, it really makes a difference, and and just like any of the people that are trying really hard to win, you know, thousands of dollars at a, you know, big comp, they're going to try to find the best brisket. So my personal preference in my backyard is a prime brisket, but when you're going to competition. Um, you know, a lot of the guys like to use uh, Snake River Farms or, you know, some nice American Wagyu that's a nice balance where it's not too fatty, but there's still enough marbling to make that perfect bite happen. Like you said, fatty in all the right ways. Yeah. So they ha- they have to kind of trick it for mm-hmm. the I remember some competitions where people have had to have like a crunchiness <laughs> or a little salt mm-hmm. on top, but you oh. wouldn't really have a whole dish of that. But but then our our winner, Wildwoods, they had did special sourcing with small farm from Georgia and told his story about Bron- where their, their sourcing was. Yep. And, um, you know, at the looks of things, it really looked like a high-quality brisket. So I think oh, yeah. you just never know. Some some people say, you know, it's not so much the smoker or the meat. It's what the chef can do. Great. Darlene, what about your, your meat? Um, my meat was just locally sourced, but it wasn't. The problem that I end up having is that uh, sometimes the meat is not as crate in quality and then if you really want to source it like i'm coming from a background where we we had cows we we have farms so our product was always better because we were the ones who raised the product and then butchered it whereas now when you have to go and find um, a farmer or even if you buy it from like the local stores it's not going to be the quality is not going to be as great yeah you know it's going to be more corn fed compared to where for us it's like more seeds and whatever it is around. You know, re- recently I read about the history of, of Texas barbecue, and it wasn't until the 60s that brisket became the cut. A lot of, like, the central Texas, talking about, f- you know, f- food from farms, a lot of the central Texas m- meat shops that were really making smoked meats as well were doing large things like shoulder clods. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about cuts of meat, because I remember that in my old restaurant, like, 12 years ago, we, we were getting... Um, there was a beef farmer upstate New York and I had one chef that was really into it. And we decided that we would always order the shoulder clod also because it was cheaper, but it was a big enough piece. He would, he would cut it up and marinate it and, and braise it. And we made an amazing beef, a braised beef sandwich, which to me was the best brisket ever, but it was shoulder clod. And that's what Texas, the, the, the meat guys in Texas used to do until the sixties. You want to talk about shoulder clod and, and, and large cuts of meat? Cause I really feel like that's what, where this industry has to go. I totally agree. For me, um, not only just experiencing it myself as a barbecue chef, but being in the meat industry, I see more people sourcing these, you know, uh, meats that require a slow cooking method, but they stretch them so far, just like you said, to make a sandwich, to make um, tacos. Like there's so much you can do with the larger, tougher cuts of meat. And I would guess that if it started getting popular around the 60s, the movement of different kinds of smokers making this more available to the average family. I'm thinking about 
things that people don't really want to talk about, pellet smokers, <laughs> that make it accessible. Now you probably have, you know, moms that saw it on social media and they go buy themselves a pellet smoker and they're trying out brisket for the first time. And all of a sudden, you know, meat is booming. Um, so not only just like the shoulder clod, but even like beef shanks is really, really hard to get tender cuts <laughs> that take a low and slow, even braising method sometimes um, are becoming more and more popular. And also the accessibility of recipes. Like think about it, back in the 60s, there was no Pinterest. Now you can go there and find a million recipes. If you type in shoulder clod, you might even be able to find a million things you can do with it. Um, so I think that those are ways that are kind of opening the doors for people in America to use different cuts that they're not familiar with. Yeah, for us, um, especially when you start talking about cuts that they're not familiar with, like again, with me being from the Caribbean, um, we make a lot of things like oxtail, right? It's something that you have to slow cook. It's uh, So for us, smoking is something that's, we're used to that. We're used to using what we have and then making it tender and making it taste good and flavorful. We weren't really into like the, the thinner pieces, the ones that didn't really cook, except for chicken. Yeah. <laughs> that was the only thing that we would actually have that uh, didn't take a long time to cook. But when it came to meat, like we use goat and goat meat takes a long time to cook. Um, it wasn't until recently, sounds embarrassing, probably like seven years ago was the first time that I actually had, eight years ago, first time that I had lamb chops. And then I learned how quickly you can make lamb chops. It's <laughs> amazing. And I assumed that the lamb and goat would be very similar similar in meat, and it's not. Um, so for us, it's it's, uh, it's built into us to have to slow cook and, and do all of those things. Um, and because of that, I've been able to go off and find so many different recipes, like you said, like on yeah. a Pinterest or even on a YouTube or even yeah. asking other chefs. And then exactly. they'll say, hey, try it this way. And then it makes the meat taste so much different than what you expected. Darlene, if so, the food that you you usually cook, are you mm -hmm. cooking more vegetables? Are you cooking jerk? Like, how would you define the food that you do not when you're coming to Brisket King? Oh, the food that I do outside of Brisket King is a lot. So the name is Sans Jerk Cut, but we do everything. So um, I do everything from like Italian to um, Asian style, to Spanish style. Um, Caribbean is always gonna be where my heart and soul lies. Uh, but I don't do, I do a lot of vegan food. Um, yeah, so I do a lot of vegan meat. <laughs> Here's the thing that most people don't know about me is that the amount of meat that I cook is, the abundance is too much. I do not eat meat. Don't eat meat at all. Um, I actually usually have a taster that will be able to taste the meat for me, but I personally can't even have meat. Um, but I love the smell of it. But most of the meals that I do now, outside of like competitions and stuff, would be like vegan, uh, pescatarian, and then when people want like certain things, we'll we'll just throw something together for them. Yeah, but is there always a similar like you you say you cook? I know you make your sauces, yeah, and I've had them, and you won a prize last year for Sauce King NYC. Um, is there a, like a style of sauce that, that you make or are you make a lot of different sauces? So I make a, my style of sauce is jerk barbecue. Um, the reason why I started doing jerk barbecue was because when I would go out to like supermarkets or even when I go to certain restaurants and they would have barbecue sauce, it was, it just didn't taste right. And I didn't like the ingredients in it. And then when you start adding like jerk sauce to it, sometimes it's really salty um, or the spice is just, it's too spicy. 
for a mild. So then it kind of like ruins the dish a little bit for some people. And I've decided to, to make something that would be flavorful enough that if you're doing a fish that's not supposed to take a lot of salt, you can still put it on there and it makes it taste good, right? So it doesn't ruin the dish for you. So that's where like me um, doing sauces came, came about or me making sauces came about. And what do people drink when they're at Sands Jerk Hat? So one of the favorite drinks <laughs> is like sorrel. For a drink show. Yeah, so we have sorrel. Um, rum punch is always a big one. What's sorrel? So sorrel is hibiscus. And we take the hibiscus leaves and then we, um, the hibiscus flower, and then we boil them down. Uh, we boil them with ginger, uh, pimento seed. And then once we cool it and drain it, we add sugar and we can add rum to it. Um, and then sometimes we make zobo and zobo is a Nigerian drink, which uses hibiscus leaves too, uh, hibiscus flowers. And then we boil those down with oranges and pineapple, pimento and ginger. Um, so you you mix it with rum or do yes, you, actually, you don't still you mix it, it with rum ferment it. No, you need yeah. to mix it with the rum after you get all of the, the rum flavors in it. Wow. Yeah. And Misty, you're about to say something. Oh, no, I was just, I really love what she said about um, creating a jerk sauce that is not too overpowering in the heat. I love the notes of jerk seasoning, mm -hmm. but I have overpowered quite a few dishes myself <laughs> in trying them and even mixing up different recipes. And so I love what you said about that. And that just goes back to like putting your own flavor on whatever you're creating that is your own and not necessarily always sticking to one specific recipe, and especially if you have a restaurant, you know, you're really yeah. trying to get people excited about your food. Um, so I just, I loved hearing that. Yeah. Now I got to go try some. <laughs> you have and to. Misty, what, what about, so now we're at, actually back in the studio here, Roberta's Pizza, mm -hmm. where the Heritage, Whole Heritage Rate Network started in 2009. We love being here. Hey, Brandon Hoy, he's going to step in from it and say hi, but we got a pizza, the margarita <laughs> pizza. The original is actually the classic pizza but the margarita is pretty damn good what do you think of it misty i'm tasting it right now and it makes me very happy in seattle we do have um a, our favorite italian spots our family likes to go to and they're always like neapolitan certified you know wood fired pizzas and um this hits the spot it has that flaky bubbly crust and perfect toppings the cheese is bomb i love it thank you yeah, roberta's pizza open out here we're uh, way out in bushwick you've probably never <laughs> been but never been now it's the probably <laughs> expensive and hip part of new york city Ooh, but yes. um they opened in 2008 this was an old uh, auto garage and they had one of the first real italian wood-fired pizza ovens in, in the whole area can you tell me about the graffiti at the entrance? <laughs> well, I, I literally thought, Brandon. like, is the Uber <laughs> dropping us off in the right spot? Well, that's part of Bushwick. It's awesome. Park, you know? When, when, when I, I first came in, I You guys don't know my backstory, but I was a high school senior many years ago, and I was looking at schools, and I, I, I flew into New York to, to visit a school. And when I drove down back then, it was 125th Street. All the store gates were down, and they all had graffiti. And I said, I love this city. So... <laughs> You know, the, the graffiti street art, but it, it's it's the thing about art and food and even Instagram. Yeah. There's just so many people in New York that are self-driven. Mm -hmm. So there are people that are making art. And you know what? It goes up on buildings and there's a lot of buildings and there's a lot of vacant storefronts. And, um, you know, that's that's that's, cool. that's a, I mean, we can say this. This yeah. is not new. This this has been a <laughs> part of New York normal. since the 60s. I love so. it. 
Oh yeah, no, it's cool. But um, yeah, there's that whole aesthetic out here. This is Bushwick, and you know, I might as well say if you don't know it, I mean, the aesthetic on Bushwick. This goes back again, 15 years. That you know, there's there's stickers. Everyone, there's there's our sticker up there, Beer Assassins Radio. But you know, stickers are are up everywhere. There's a lot of music music industry people that that came out to this area. That's probably it. It's probably a tie of like music and arts. You know, a lot of kids went to art schools. Um, whether they're doing street art or, or, or trying to be more formal, you know, it's a great way to express yourself. I love it. It kind of feels like a hidden gym. You know, once you walk in the doors and you go in and you see the guys putting together the pizzas and they look super pro. I'm like, I can't wait to sit yeah. down and try this. And a lot, just to say the thing about being a regular, like, you know, when you go to a place, the hardest thing is going anywhere the first time. And if you don't know yes. anybody, and this is important for hospitality guys, because it happens all the time. You, if you go into a restaurant, usually the first timer, and you don't know anyone that works there, mm-hmm. many times you actually don't have a great experience. But that's why I'm really, I advocate for being a regular, because when you go on a regular basis, you start, you know, one or two, once you go a couple of times, if you really like a place, there's, there's nothing like, don't invest in the business, <laughs> invest as a customer and give good tips. So yeah. I think that for over 10 years, I was here every Tuesday uh, in Roberta. So I feel like this, I told you, this is my home in New York. This is my home in Bushwick for I sure. So yeah. So um, more food, yes. jerk flavors, sorrel. Um, what, so your opinion of, of Brisket King last night, because it was out, we're out at Pig Beach, had a move. So, you know, New York restaurants, real estate stuff, like anything, you know, there, there's always changes, new developments. And uh, Pig Beach, they're a great group. They had their Brooklyn spot. Now it's going to be a development site. And they'd already opened up in, in Queens. Queens was the old Studio Square for some of you old beer, beer people. Mm-hmm. Studio Square opened 10, 12 years ago. It was this giant space um, that could take like 500 people. And at the time, it, it was really trying to put put themselves on the map as a, as a beer place. So if you know where Studio Square was, that's where Pig Beach has moved to in Queens and Astoria. And the outside space was great. I think with uh, about 700 was. people. Um, but, you know, going out to Queens, there's so many people are in Astoria. There's so many great mm-hmm. breweries that we, we know out there. Um, but the event itself, like whether, let's talk about a couple of other chefs because that event's really about the chefs. And then we'll come back and talk about judging. I absolutely loved the event last night. So what I was explaining to um, a few of my peers yesterday is that I've, I've been at Brisket King and Rib King, and I've done a few of your events, Jimmy, um, over the years. And this was the first time that it felt it felt like you were meeting your old college buddies. And it was like the camaraderie was just amazing. So um, I love all the chefs, and, and it's always great seeing them again because sometimes we, we can only see them at the, these events. Unless like we go into the restaurants. <laughs> well, thank you. And I would just so just to shout out for events in New York City hospitality. Pandemic was really hard. A lot of places yeah. are still just catching up and closing or reopening because they they went to through like my friends at Egg Restaurant closed. Now they opened in a whole new part of Brooklyn called Little Egg Restaurant. You got to check mm-hmm. it out. But the same thing last night we made a point of one of the judges, uh, Andrew Ridgey is the the head of the New York City Hospitality Alliance and. He's been, he's a great friend of restaurants in New York and, and was really became voc- the vocal leader of how restaurants should be treated, you know, yeah. during COVID and the lockdowns and stuff. So it was great have, having him as a judge. So thank you, Andrew. So Misty, you were a judge with all these people. <laughs> there are there are so there are new faces like Kim Plafka of the Meat Hook. Kim, you're amazing. We love you. Um, you know, Nick Solaris was for a long time the Eater New York 
meat editor. To me, he's he's a god of meat. He was buddies with Josh Zersky, who's helped me start some meat events a long time ago. But tell us about a couple of the judges that you interacted with and then the process, because it's not we'll talk about what this Kansas City barbecue judging. It's not that. And it's not Pacific Northwest barbecue judging. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I was excited to be able to meet some of these people when I saw the lineup of judges. um, There's such a variety of people. Um, Nick Solaris stood out to me also. Um, And then um, who's the Cat's Deli? Oh, Jake, Jake Dell. That's right, yeah. The family of delicatessen. He'd been, <laughs> I, a, he'd been a judge before when he came yeah, back. I really, I actually really enjoyed the interaction with him, too. There's some passionate people about how they felt about their taste last night. Um, and there was a lot of opinions being shared and um, specific feedback about the crust and the tenderness and, you know, who really deserves what. And the deliberation between the judges at that table <laughs> should have been recorded. Like that was really good. <laughs> that felt like what my perception being a West coast girl of the East coast, you know, people are really like <clears throat> having at it to, you know, really dig out the best and the top performers. So you had some real New Yorkers. In it. I mean, the thing real, is yeah. a lot of those judges like Adam Polk, <laughs> Ethan Fadita, yes. Nick Solaris have been Gennaro Pescia. Gennaro They've been great. judges with us for, for many years. Yeah. So their standards are really high. And Absolutely. what's cool is seeing like last year, I know um, Darlene won an award for her sauce, yeah. but Darlene had been there and came back and mm-hmm. everyone saw the progress she'd made. Yeah. And that's probably part of it. So you've got some people that have seen the movement or, someone who's continually a top performer so they know who to go to first. And you got someone like me who's brand new, who's coming in (laughs) with wide open eyes, tasting every single person individually with no background, no other than knowing, you know, where they work and whatever. But it, for me, it was awesome. And I think when you're judging, you just have to share how you feel period and not be influenced by others. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a New York city culinary event, but you said you came in the, in Pacific Northwest, there's a, a style of judging. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what, what we're used to is just the basic standard, you know, uh, barbecue competition judging. So there's things that you're looking for, very basic categories that you get to judge and number point, you know, by uh, the overall appearance. <clears throat> what are the aesthetics, you know, and this competition at brisket King, I was handed a piece of brisket sometimes, or I was handed mm-hmm. a little tray with a juicy old splash, you know, brisket all over the So in a regular t- competition, t- you can't Thai even curry. get sauce on the side. Yeah, Thai some Thai curry, curry yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> some hot, uh, you know, spicy sauce on top of the pastrami, like totally different world. So the variety was really eye-opening and fun and very different than what I'm used to. And it was, um, I want to say laid back, but it really wasn't laid back because, like I said, there's a lot of really intense opinions when it came down to judging. No, every one of those restaurants, and you, Darlene, the time you spend on it, you know, sourcing the meat, every restaurant chef there is invested in in, in putting their best foot forward. And just a note about about the flavors and stuff, it's nothing to do with any sanctioned uh, barbecue competition, that it's the opposite. It's it's a New York City tasting event where the chefs and restaurants are giving you a preview or a taste of what you would get in their restaurant. Yeah. So there might be flavor. Like the three, I, I want to shout out to uh, good buddy, Joe DiStefano and was Queens, like meat and, and food expert. The last two years, he's helped bring in a couple different Thai restaurants mm. and um, there's Zab Zab NYC in Queens, which is yes. top 100 New York <laughs> times restaurant, but Zab Putan Upper East side, this is our second year. And also Comrade Thai just opened in Astoria, and each one of those, they're featuring specific dishes from 
you know, regional Thai cuisine. And if you ask Joe or you ask Nick Solaris, someone's going to say that. And Peter Kaminsky, my, my great friend, the, the cookbook writer, Thai food is like France with so many different regions, so much, so much history. And uh, I don't know if you thought about the Thai, the different Thai, because there were like three different Thai dishes. There really were. Um, the curry was probably my favorite, tender and just the right amount of spice balance. Um, but yeah, I loved being able to taste food from different countries. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. It feels like a gift to be able to give this gift to people because I know that from my own experiences, I know how valuable, consolidated, Mm -hmm. incredible training resources are. They offer an in-depth education on all things cheese, as well as an active network for peer support and career development. You can pop over to the Quad, which is our social networking and engagement app. Um, And so that's a really fun and dynamic aspect of Cheese State University. Cheese State's three-part course is designed for seasoned pros and entry-level mongers alike and covers all the skills one needs to perform on the cheese counter. The structure of Cheese State University is all based on the Cheese State University Field Guide. Um, And that is a three-volume resource. It's all digital online. At the end of the course, students will be ready to ace the field guide assessment and earn their Cheese State Scholar Certificate. Another resource is a video series where we tackle sort of like these thornier questions that you can get on the cheese counter, like what is rennet and like why is this cheese so expensive and can pregnant people even eat cheese? At Cheese State, you're among experts, you're among scholars, you're among cheese lovers, and most importantly, you are a monger. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at CheeseStateUniversity.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's our 14th season, and today we're recording in Roberta's Pizza in, in the back, the old Heritage Radio Network studio. Um, big shout out to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Support us, become a member, and big thanks to Roberta's Pizza. So, Darlene, we're, you know, we're talking about flavors and mm-hmm. different dishes. Um, you know, what? What would you like to see at Brisket King? Is is there a, a cuisine like Jace Jace Barbecue? Jace Franklin yes, couldn't absolutely. come this year because he also has a day job, so he couldn't yes. really prep. <laughs> but you know, he he's always doing talking about oxtails. Mm-hmm. He's always doing his. What's his jerk? How do you describe his jerk barbecue? So his because he's is, really grown and people are getting to know. Yes, yeah, so he's his is a Trinidadian style. Um, so each of the Caribbean has. Um, we all have our own like flavors and things like that. So. Sometimes we do, the name is similar, but the taste is very different. So for him, he does like jerk pigtails, which are two dots. Listen, your face shows it all. It, I heard it's amazing. Um, you do so oxtails, ever, oxtails yeah, pigtails. Like if you should ever find <laughs> Jace, ask him for his pigtails. Okay, I have a story. I'm going to interrupt mm-hmm. you. Go ahead. So my when I was growing up, my 4th of July picnics, this is pr- probably the only barbecue of my history of growing up because I grew up in... <laughs> Smaller town. Anyhow, my Uncle Sam would always tease me and say, Misty, come on over here and eat the pigtail. We do a pig roast yeah. once a year on 4th of July, and he'd try to make me eat the pig roast. And I always would run away screaming, literally. <laughs> so I definitely got to try some of this. I'm a big girl now. But is, is the squeal, as a butcher, is, is the squeal <laughs> in the pigtail? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, you, you have to try it. If you've ever find Chase, you have to try his pigtails. Uh, but yeah, like his style of cooking is, um, his is more tra tra uh, Trinidadian styled. Uh, so the flavors are kind of similar, but still different in how we make certain things and, and how we want the flavor to come out. So that's like the difference between like his and mine. Is Trinidadian less spicy or more spicy? Um, I would say it's less, depending upon what the dish is. Okay. So um, if we're doing like doubles and, and doubles is like, it's like two flour, um, trying to describe this right. It's like two flour patties. And then you put like chickpeas, or what we call chana, um, and it's curry chickpeas and then whatever meat or, um, and then we'll add like pepper sauce. So they keep their peppers separate and then you can add to it. Whereas us, we put our peppers in it and then you can add more pepper on top of it. But our peppers are not to be spicy, it's to be flavorful. So we don't usually like cook with the seeds in a sense. So what we do is that like when we make our meat, so when we make our rice, we flavor our rices with like scotch bonnet pepper. We don't bust it. We don't bust the pepper open. We don't cut it open. We boil with it and then we usually take it out. So that way you don't get the spiciness. What well, you get some of the spice, but it's not burning. The only time it burns is when you have the seeds that's in there. So for us, ours is um, different. They don't usually uh, make theirs the same way. Um, theirs, they, they put, like I said, the pepper is on the side for them. So you can always add more pepper into it. Whereas us, we cook with it and we add. Yeah. And one thing about Jamaicans, an island, I, I used to go to Jamaica a lot years ago. And I remember be, being on the beach and the place we were staying, there'd be a boat full of bonita, the little tuna mm -hmm. coming up. And we knew that was for dinner that night. And just them having like just just these little tuna loins that were just kind of grilled, and then a scotch broth was mm -hmm. what they put on. Do you know what's a scotch broth? So I've never heard of the scotch broth unless it's a scotch pepper sauce. It it had scotch the scotch bonnet in it, but mm -hmm. then it's with a broth. So oh, it's so like it's a, a fish. Okay, so what we what we call fish tea. So it's like a fish soup, um, and then for that, like we that is like usually a spicy. It's a spicier soup. So there's like two of our soups that is like spicier. Um, so it's fish tea and then we have goat head soup. And you have to try that too. So you could, you could grill up the, the tuna and then just put it with the... And then you put the sauce, so yeah. The soup sauce, yeah. So then you'll end up doing that. So that's... Those they, are the and they call it scotch broth. That's what I remember. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> scotch modern broth. <laughs> it was good. It was spicy, but good spicy. Yeah, it's that good spicy. It's not that burn your mouth spicy. It's the one that you can enjoy. Like That's what we drink during the summertime. Hey, Darlene, mm -hmm. I want everyone who's listening to tune in to Seattle Butcher's Wife because I am going to make sure that you and I do a cook together. Oh, I am sure. listening and learning, and I'm pretty excited about showing the world some of your techniques. Yes. For sure. This is really, it's fun to listen to. You should definitely try it. We got like, to. I love make it. a video. So tell us again. So Instagram, your handle is? Seattle Butcher's Wife. Yeah. And on yeah. there, I mostly just share recipes and my barbecue journey. Um, but I love to be able to occasionally highlight, you know, different kinds of food or support local places. But um, this is cooking I have not ventured into. So that would be a fun experience. Great. Sure. And Darlene, tell us again, what's your restaurant? So ours is a uh, Sands Jerk Cut. And on Instagram, we're our official underscore Sands Jerk Cut. You guys have been so great. Big shout out to um, some of the top restaurants that were at uh, Brisk King last night. We're going down from the top to the bottom. You want to do it with me? First place was, remember this? Yes, it is um, 
Wildwoods Barbecue, mm -hmm. and um, they're based in New Jersey. Right? Wild Wildwood, New Jersey. Wildwood, but, New Jersey. Uh, Dave Gill worked for several years with Billy Durney at Hometown Barbecue. Oh, okay. And he had some all-star chefs, including Allison Plummer, who's oh, a Feeney and Misi chef. Great. Yeah, no, he had some talent in, in that a spot. whole crowd. They but the other thing, job. last thing about, about butchering, the first time I went down to Wildwoods Barbecue was right when they opened, uh, like, I don't know, two, two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And from the beginning, they made a point of when they trim their brisket on Thursday night or whatever night they trim it, they, they have uh, burgers just from the trimmings. And they also make an Australian beef sausage. And that was my favorite dish of the night. They're, uh, they're, they're freshly made Australian. It was like beef trimmings, Australian beef sausage yeah. with a, it was almost like a chicago dog yes or and it was in a pork casing it was delicious and that's a really great way to use it i mean i try to save mine and i oftentimes use my trim for burgers but after that taste i was thinking maybe i should try some sausage oh yeah and then you know it listen <laughs> thanks so much darlene lawrence sans jerka misty ben caro, caro italian <laughs> From uh, Seattle Butcher's wife. And what's the name of your family business? Mondo and Sons. I love that. All right. We got a real butcher family here. Um, <laughs> thanks so much for joining me here. And big shout out to Armin Spengen, our engineer. I'm Jimmy Carboni again, our 14th year on Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next week. All Thank right. You. See ya. Bye. Bye. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.